All right, welcome to Hair Metal Memories. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm Aaron. And a uh, quick shout out today at the beginning, we received an email from a listener, Tyler McRoberts, who had a suggestion of, uh, of us doing a podcast about the debut Firehouse album. So we, we definitely put that on our list. And thanks for the shout out. Uh, if you guys want to like message us, we have a Facebook page you can message us on. If you have any suggestions, anything you think we're doing right, doing wrong, just uh, please let us please, know. Give yeah. us feedback. Yep, yep. Tell us hi. Uh, or you can send an email to hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com, as Tyler did. So, Thank you, Tyler. Yeah. So today our album is Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. And this is kind of an interesting case because uh, I don't think we'd originally intended on covering much Bon Jovi just no. because, you know, I mean, dude's got plenty of coverage elsewhere. But it was a special yeah. request from a, from a really good friend of ours. Yeah. Chad, uh, who, who you're going to hear from later in just a little bit. Yes, who will be dropping by yeah. uh, to talk to us about the album. Um he, it was the first cassette he ever owned, and so we gave him some time, and we were like, cool, we'll talk about this for you. That's all good, man. Yeah, yeah, it kind of, um, Bon Jovi was sort of weird for me because they sort of sparked the beginning of the end of hair metal in my head a, a little bit. So they, they were not my favorite uh, band that came out, you know, and I, I understood how they were considered hair metal and everything like that, but, like, uh, they, they weren't high on my list, so... Um, but um, it was interesting going back and listening to the album because, like, uh, you know, I just knew mostly the hits and I hadn't heard some of the songs. So, but, and see, yeah. for me, like, when I was a kid, this was just what I, I, I got. I was attracted to MTV early and all the crazy looking rock and rollers. I was into all of that. So as soon as I heard Bon Jovi, I was instantly sold. Because I mean, yeah, what was it, seven years old or whatever. And yeah, I was just in on it. And so I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I remember even yeah. my mom saying something about, oh, I like that. You give love a bad name song. That's a good song. Yeah. And so <laughs> it probably made it easier for me to acquire the album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were everywhere when they came out, so it was a it, they were hard to avoid. And they came, I mean, they were prepackaged. They were just like this huge arena sounding band, you know, right out of the gate. And they, yep, and good looking guys. I you guess know. to be fair to them, that's exactly what they wanted to be too. So yeah. I mean, you know, they were pretty upfront yep. about everything yep. they wanted to do. Yep, they swung for it right away and hit it. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean, to be fair, the first the first couple albums didn't like. I know Runaway was a big hit when they yeah. did, you know. Or comparatively big hit. What is that? Eighty four or something like that. Yeah, there was I don't a video really for remember. it, and it was eighty three or something. Yeah, it was on the radio quite a bit. Um, and then the album after that, because I actually bought the album after that. I many years later, I found I found uh, seventy eight hundred degrees Fahrenheit in dollar bin mm-hmm. back when you could buy perfect condition copies of Bon Jovi pressings in dollar yeah. bins. <laughs> and uh, I remember listening to that and going, well, I guess you know, within the context of like popular Bon Jovi, I get why it didn't blow up the way the next one did, yeah. but. It's not like I don't know, objectively worse than Slippery When Wet or anything like that. I don't know. That, that's just my take on yeah. it. But yeah, so Slippery When Wet was their third album. Came out in 1986, um, and it was produced by <laughs> Bruce Fairbairn, who uh, he, he's done a lot of stuff. He just died in 1999. Um, he did Slippery When just, Wet. Just it's been yeah. 20 years, but he's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh man, no, no, no. Good call. I do. <laughs> to me, yeah, I remember '99 just like very vividly. So it does not feel like 20 years. Uh, ago. I, I do that way too. Funny much. Funny thing but, is, he yeah. died. Uh, it was uh, during the mixing sessions for a Yes album. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Like, well, I mean, not that. He died. <laughs> <laughs> not that he died. That's so rad, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he gave his life for that Yes album, and it was the latter, so it was kind of a shitty album, unfortunately. So. What a way to go. Yeah. But, but the uh, dude's got a lot of credits to his name. He, I mean, uh, he's been involved in a lot of stuff. And uh, John Anderson and Steve Howe performed at the memorial. 
for his death, which I thought was very cool. I'd take that. Yeah, but he he did uh, Slippery When Wet in New Jersey with Bon Jovi, two, two big albums, uh, Permanent Vacation, Pump and Get a Grip with Aerosmith, The Razor's Edge by ACDC, and Balance by Van Halen. That's right. He did The yeah. Razor's Edge. Yeah, and each of those albums sold at least 5 million copies. So, I mean, so, the dudes, yeah, and he, he yeah. did uh, Poison's Flesh and Blood, which was not oh, wow. quadruple or quintuple platinum, but it was triple yeah. platinum. Uh, yeah. ACDC Live record. He did the oh, first yeah. Loverboy album, which was the one yes, that he did. launched. He's a Canadian guy, and this launched his American career. And, uh, and, a, and a little special one for me, Revolution by Night. I was Blue just going to say that. A little BOC. That's pretty yeah, cool. Huge BOC fan. I mean, so the guy's got some cool. credits. And a, and a fun fact is that he worked with uh, Herbie Hancock and Bill Laswell on oh, wow. on the uh, Future Shock album that has the song Rocket. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's like the craziest trio of people to make a record together because, you know, I mean, Bill Laswell is your, you know, New York weirdo yeah. with, like, Praxis and stuff like that. And then Bruce Fairbairn, who we're talking about right here, and then freaking Herbie Hancock. Yeah, jazz legend. So you, you can, really you can get... Synthesizers and so that means before. you can, in a way, get from yeah. Miles Davis to Bon Jovi in very few steps if you yeah. want to play the musical, like, that's Kevin true. Bacon game. You, it's that's true. Granted, you're kind of fudging with a production credit, but whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, the album was mixed by Bob Rock, and uh, I'm, I'm not even going to start listing stuff. He's uh, a name that's yeah. going to probably come up a lot when we yeah. talk about this in either a mixing or yeah. production capacity or something yeah. else. And you'll you'll know Bob Rock sound as soon as you hear it. Yeah, because like Doctor Feel Good, Metallica's Black Album, Metallica's every album yeah. for like the next bazillion years. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he was part of a group called Rock and Hide, which was a tape I bought in high school because they had a weird video for this song called <laughs> Dirty Water. Um, and and I, I never made the connection that Bob Rock was the same guy that was in this band. It was this weird little indie thing that I that I picked up in high school. Um, but check that song out sometime if you're into it. It's a Dirty Water is by Rock and Hide, and it, it's this, it's basically an atheist anthem. And, and which, really? in, which, which in high school was sort of like very strange. It was that and uh, Dear God by XTC. Those are the only atheist songs that I knew. And Yeah, that would be so, about it. Yeah. Well, I knew some songs by the band Atheist, but that's a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. there you go. That's right. You're getting a reference to the band Atheist in a hair rock <laughs> podcast. Booyah. Anyway. We cover a lot of ground. Yeah. So Bon Jovi wrote 30 songs. And they auditioned them for New York and New Jersey teenagers and based the running order on the feedback. Uh, I thought that was kind of, they're very savvy about the business. That's a pretty slick move. If you, if yeah. you want to be like, you know, number one rockers, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll just take songs and just play them to these kids. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's a very, it's not all that far off from, uh, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but I remember seeing an episode of the Colbert Report where, where uh, Devo were on and they talked uh-huh. about how they like basically let their fans help them. Build a record. Mm-hmm. That's right. They had a they they did test marketing on it, and they were very upfront about it. And they put out the album uh, something for everybody. Yes, that was exactly and it. Then, yep. uh, and then they later put the rejects out on one like something like something else for everybody or something oh, like that. Cool. And it was the same cover, but marked with a Sharpie. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was great. Yeah, that's right. Bon Jovi, yeah. Devo, and Atheist. That's Bam, right. Same <laughs> podcast. Look yeah. at that. Uh, Slippery when wet sold twenty eight million copies. That's I mean, insane. Damn. Yeah, and it was it was the best selling album of 1987. Spent 38 weeks in the top five albums, and uh, is listed as number 44 in the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's definitive 200 album list. So they're uh, in the, you know, Bon Jovi's in the top 50 albums on, on, on ah. so. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. So the, fun I, factoid: when they were writing this record, mm-hmm. oh my god! <laughs> uh, just as an MTV kid, I I I recognized this immediately in 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 the notes. Um, they wrote a song for this album, which if if you're already listening to this podcast, there's certain albums you probably just know about, or mm-hmm. at least you know something to that effect. So they wrote a song called uh, "Edge of a Broken Heart." Hmm. Uh, see by your facial expression, yeah. I can tell that you're like, no, I think I know what that is. Yeah, I've been living on the edge of a broken heart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Bon Jovi as a band, Bon Jovi has sold over 130 million copies of their 14 albums, and my note on that was fuck. Jesus Christ, what are we doing wrong? And I'm just kidding. That's not really the Vixen song. It's yeah. just an easy song title. Um, yeah, so they, they're clearly doing something right. Um, it's something that people like. Um, uh, John Bon Jovi's mom was a Marine who turned to being a Playboy bunny. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, and his cousin ran a recording studio. Tony! Yeah, yep. Yep, his, his I cousin Tony. His name comes up uh-huh. with some Ramones related stuff. Yeah, he did. He worked with Ramones. And uh John worked there. Uh John Bon Jovi worked with sweeping floors at the, that, at the recording studio. Yes, they talked about that on MTV back in the yeah. day. And his cousin recommended him for a Star Wars Christmas album by Miko. And so John Bon Jovi's first professional recording is on a Star Wars album put out. Is by that his- that Miko? Yeah. Was there more than one Miko Star Wars record? I don't know. Because yeah. we at, at the little shop I work at sometimes we'll yeah. we see that Miko record every now and then, and it usually kind of sits and gathers dust until some weirdo like myself goes, "Oh, hey, I got to hear that." Yeah. Uh, John Bon Jovi started his own record label called Jamco, and he produced an Aldo Nova record, which I thought was kind of cool. Wow. There's more than one Aldo Nova record? <laughs> I'm not super familiar with the dude. I know that yeah. one song yeah. with, with the awesome synth line in it. Yeah. <laughs> Life is just a fantasy. Yeah. And uh, and reading about John Bon Jovi, I had to say it, it, the the stories about him kind of won me over. He seems like a genuinely yeah, cool he, like the philanthropy that he engages in. He gives a lot of money back to like a lot of great. At causes. some point, we're going to talk about Skid Row, and we're going to tell you about one of the maybe uncool things that happened involving John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. But we'll save that for a okay. Skid Row episode. Okay, that's a Skid Row story. Be- and yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. aside from that, he's, he's a pretty good guy. It seems like. Yeah. Oh, dang it. Yeah, I, I was impressed reading up about him. I did not know much about his history. So, uh, Richie Sambora was in a band called Mercy, which was on Swan Song, which was Zeppelin's label. I thought well, The only band I know called Mercy is a 60s pop group that did Love Can Make You Happy. A little bit different. A little bit different, yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Richie, before Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora was on Zeppelin's label. And, uh, there you go. He was part owner of a club in New Jersey at a really young age, and he had his own record label at 19. Jeez. He auditioned to be in Kiss as Ace Frehley's replacement. So I don't think we're going to get through a single podcast without mentioning Kiss at this rate. Probably not. It's either Kiss or Ozzy seem to be like the you know the godfather bands of all this stuff. Um, Richie Sambora replaced Dave the Snake Sabo in Skid Row. Um, as as a Bon Jovi's replacement guitar player, so that was kind. Of, I thought that was kind of yeah. See, I didn't even know the thing about about Dave and, uh, from Skid Row until fairly recently when uh-huh. I was sitting around one night doing the Wikipedia hole and went, "Whoa, no way, he yeah. was in the band." Because in that that 
it makes more sense than when you hear that that uh, Skid Row was kind of nurtured into existence and into major yeah. label exposure by John Bon Jovi. Yeah. It, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Richie Sambora did a um, he did a tour behind one of his solo albums and he had Tony Levin on bass. Oh, I thought, crap. As, as a prog nerd, that kind of like, you know. Tony Levin, there's like, it, he, yeah, there's Tony more Levin. than one Tony Levin, isn't he? He like cloned himself so he, that he can be on everybody's <laughs> record, right? Yeah, he basically plays on Because he's, 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 he's been on every album man. that's ever been made yeah. in some capacity. You may not even see him that Yeah, it's there. like, wow, Tony Levin and Richie Sambora. I, not, I would not have put them together, but go go Tony Levin for being versatile. Heck yeah. Uh, Richie Sambora guest starred on a Bo Diddley album in 1996, which I thought was kind of cool. You know, I seem to remember hearing about that at the time because, I mean, they're one of those bands that kind of weathered the storm of the changing times of the early 90s yeah, they really just, did. and just kind of just kept on going. And yeah. uh, so you would always still get news about, you know, what was going on with uh, with Bon Jovi all the way through yeah. the 90s, even on MTV when they would still run some MTV news but not necessarily play any videos. I would mm-hmm. even posit that Bon Jovi is to hair metal as Pearl Jam is to grunge. I would say you're probably that's in that's in no way inaccurate. They just, I mean, yeah, yeah. the changing times, the changing things just don't seem to and... affect them at all. They just keep right on with their yeah. thing. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, and Richie Sambora played on a Pink album, so he's got some pop stuff going on. He, he dabbles in the pop world too. Um, their drummer Tico Torres, uh, he also auditioned for Kiss, and he was a kind of a, like a yeah. session dude. He's a session guy, yeah. He's recorded with Cher and Alice Cooper and Chuck Berry. So the Bon Jovi to Chuck Berry, yeah. And I'd heard about the Cher one, but Chuck Berry—that's yeah. something else, right there, man. And he's also—he's a successful painter, so I thought that was kind of cool. And he has a line of fashion clothes for babies. <laughs> All right. Because I mean, he, you know, he felt like no one was making cool clothes for babies. Because even babies guy. have a little bit of Madison Avenue That's in them. That's right. <laughs> uh, their keyboard player, David Brian Rashbaum, um, he also works on Broadway stuff, and he co-wrote the Toxic Avenger musical. Oh, my God. That makes him... Cooler. I thought so too. I, yeah. yeah, those are yeah, all the that's, cool things. That's th- awesome. There's, there's a lot more stuff you can dig up on these guys, but I thought these were the interesting things to me that uh, that I found about them. The um, fun thing is that uh, there's at least a, a chance, and it's it's never really been definitive. I don't I don't know that it's been definitively stated one way or the other as far as this album. But there's a good chance that Alex John Such did not play a single note on this record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he was their bass player ostensibly. You see him in the videos. You would see him on tours. But it, I've I've heard heard tell that basically the guy who is their current bass player is is the one who has been basically playing bass on their records for the most of the time. Uh, 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 Hugh McDonald, yeah, Hugh McDonald's his name. Um, uh, that he it was known that he had contributed some bass, I think, to like New Jersey and Keep the Faith. Okay, well, uh, but. Uh, and he, right, I, don't, right. I don't know that he's expressly credited on some of the other stuff, but I think he basically recorded the bass tracks. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. let's dig into the album a little bit. Oh, boy, um, let us do that. Yeah. I, I don't have very many notes, in all honesty. I don't have it. a super I, lot of them. I mean, the thing is, I didn't do a whole lot of, as we were saying earlier, really, a whole lot of revisiting this for, the, for yeah. this episode because it's one of the albums that, like, as a kid, I would sit and listen to over and over and over and over. Yeah. Back when I would sit and, like, 
yeah. you know, have the lyric sheet in my hand, which yeah. was a cassette tape. I can't believe I sat there and read Those along tiny little to lyrics. the tiny yeah. print in the cassette tape, but I did that. And if you had to take a shot every time one of the lyrics was just like kind of one of those regular cliches that we all use in a day, you'd be dead by the end of the first yeah. song. Yeah. Which admittedly has a badass yeah. keyboard intro. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I thought that uh, was kind of interesting. You know, I, I sort of like, you know, don't think of, you know, I think of like shitty lyrics a lot when I think of Bon Jovi, but uh, John Bon Jovi is in some sort of like songwriters hall of fame too. Is like, you know, he's written songs that have like, you know, been yep. performed by so many people and, and all this stuff. And, you know, so he's, he's, in some circles is widely we're well regarded as a songwriter. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, cause obviously, you know, I, I'm a musical weirdo and I like musical yeah. weirdo stuff, yeah, but by like objective, like successful big time pop music standards, he's yeah. really good at it. I mean, that's, really good at it, yeah. you know, regardless of what we think about the world of pop, if, if, uh, yeah. if you're talking about a pop context, the guy's clearly a very gifted songwriter. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we start with, uh, you know, the the depth of Let It Rock. And that song's like five and a half minutes long, and I'm pretty sure that the keyboard intro is like, what, like three of those minutes or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And it does sound huge. It I mean, it's like, like one yeah. of the most massive sounding things. Clearly, Bob Rock was taking notes when uh -huh. they were doing this record because when you listen to the Bob Rocks, because he starts producing records not, you know, around yeah. this time and not long after, and they're just huge sounding yeah. records. They sound like they're... Like you're making things specifically to be played in stadiums, yeah, or arenas or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and let it rock is a good introduction. It's like, hey, here's what your statement of purpose kind of thing. It's another one of those things yeah. where you get really good Richie Sambora. Right. the guy's a really good guitar player. He is a good guitar player. Um, I I was impressed with him, and and in the course of listening to this, um, well, Getty has an opinion about it. I yeah. think, but right, that that's who who barked right here. Yeah, he, he's fun. Um, and yeah, but you know, he doesn't get to talk about it today. Yeah, yeah hi, buddy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then we go, and then we kick in with You Give Love a Bad Name, which was a massive hit. So, and literally, um, we all know about that. But fun that. fact is, this yeah. album and this song on the album is the first instance on the album. I mean, it's only the second track, but whatever, where we get outside songwriters. Oh, wow. Uh, the mighty Desmond Child. Oh, and if yeah, you want to yeah, start yeah. looking at like 80s rock records, you're going to mm -hmm. see that name pop up a lot. Yeah. I guarantee you, uh, right now, in the next five episodes that we do, maybe. Yeah. That's kind of a guess at this point. We're probably going to hear that name again. Yeah. He was, because once a lot of these. A lot of these, a lot of these bands in this genre that we're discussing will have a thing where their first album's pretty raw, the second one's maybe a little bit less raw, and by the time they explode and get like the big record, you're gonna see this guy's name on the record or yeah. Diane Warren. Yeah. But uh, we'll get to that <laughs> later. Uh, and then after that, we got "Living on a Prayer," also another huge hit. Um, and to be fair, uh, that one really good guitar solo in it. Actually, that's it probably gonna come up in some of these. Yeah, and that's kind of become a bar anthem. I hear people like you know when when you know if someone plays it on the jukebox, people start singing along in a bar. They just can't help it. It also is played at baseball stadiums yeah. a lot. <laughs> and uh, social disease is the next song, and this is one I didn't know very much, and I and I and I liked it. I thought it was like it's that. actually yeah, and you know a lot of that is like oh I haven't heard this one seventy billion times right, like yeah. most of the other stuff you know, but uh, it's it's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one so that was a pleasant surprise for me. 
And then after that, Wanted Dead or Alive, also still a massive hit. A lot of you kids um, probably think of it as the intro music to Deadliest Catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that guitar solo still rages. I, I, you know, it's I, hadn't, a, I hadn't heard it for a while. There, it's a and, good solo, and, you know, I mean, yeah. but... Yeah, and it's uh, and that is the that's one of the very first songs when I first started playing guitar when it came out when this album came out. Um, I I heard that guitar part um, for One and Dead or Alive, and I thought, what is that? And so I sat down. It's one of the first guitar parts I ever learned. So, yeah. And the other thing I like about One and Dead or Alive is uh, he's seen a million faces and he's rocked them all. He's rocked them all, every single one of them. Yeah. In an interview at one point, right, right around this time, I'm pretty sure he. It, it, he talked about what I want to do is be like Clint Eastwood with a guitar. Yeah. And I guess like I, I didn't see him kill anybody with any guitar. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, as to how successful he was, I guess that's up for debate. Um, maybe him and Tuco went and found some gold somewhere. I don't know. I'm once again, I didn't hang out with him during that period. I was way too young. So yeah. rest assured there was quite a rocking. There was quite a rocking. <laughs> Yeah, and after that we have "Raise Your Hands," which uh, I thought it was kind of like the most metal riff on the record. <laughs> uh, yes, it's about the only time they get a little bit of like yeah. chugga chugga, you yeah. know. But it's and it's very, uh, it's definitely very much geared for arena rock again. You can tell they're trying to make an anthem, um, and uh, and this one has a really good solo in it. And I thought I would like call this one out as one we should. Yes, listen I, to. I would agree with you. And also okay. an additional fun. Well, we're gonna play the solo first. We're gonna play the solo. Hey. Yeah, fun fact about this song is that uh, those of you who are old like us will remember that this song is in Spaceballs. Oh, what? I did not remember that. Yeah, when that. we're first introduced to uh, Lone Star in, uh-huh. his, in his space Winnebago, uh, Barf <laughs> is in the back rocking out to uh, this song while he's eating. <coughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah. I, I, oh, that makes me like the song even more. Hell yeah. So, <laughs> so that song gets a pass, regardless of our opinion yeah. about the whole rest of it and the Bon Jovi phenomenon. Right, Raise yeah. your hands was in Spaceballs, so it's That's cool. That's right. It's all right. <laughs> Uh, without love, I don't really have anything to say about that. I don't. Uh, it's it's another one of those. Out, it's yeah. another one of those songs that every band from this era has, where you, it's not like yeah. your full on slow paced anthem. It's like the mid paced kind of lovey yeah. tune. I, I feel like the record. I mean, I have not listened to the whole album very much, in all honesty. But I thought the album kind of petered out right about here. Um, because you, you start outside too with this big, you know, anthem kind of thing, and, and then it has like kind of a dip, and then it kind of dips, and then the next song, "I Die for You," that's my least favorite song on the album, uh, by a lot, and yeah. it's like, I'm just like, "I Die for You." Wait, what? There's only a couple songs on this album that don't sound like expressly made to be radio singles, and it's like yeah. the last song and this one. Yeah, it's like <laughs> going Romeo and Juliet kind of crap or something like that, and I'm just like. Ugh. I don't He's want fond that. of Romeo and Juliet yeah. crap. Yeah, just like Tommy, you see, like formerly working on the docks. It's yeah. just you know, right? <laughs> he likes to come up with a pair, and then like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but hey, whatever, man. You got your way of working. It's cool. <laughs> 
and uh, Never Say Goodbye, which is like... This is like total AOR music right yeah, here. It's if you a tune cheesy into a, ballad. Yes, and if you tune into a classic rock station yeah. over the course of 24 hours, good chance you're going to hear this song. Yeah. I wrote next to... This is also my least favorite song. <laughs> yes. They're both worse. <laughs> and then we close with Wild in the Streets, which is like sort of a passable rock song, you know? It's, it's, and it, it sounds like it was expressly made to be the last song on an right, album. Right, yeah. So that you like yeah. go out on this ripping high note and the needle's coming yeah. off and you're like, yeah, yeah, oh my God, that was so rocking. And, totally made me forget the previous uh, It actually three songs. had a video made for it too that when I was a kid, oh, I wow. saw like one time and was so excited. Because back when I was a kid, I was always excited about finding that video that I didn't know about from a band. Yeah. And I liked and for the longest time you would see you give love a bad name living on a prayer or wanted dead alive like mm-hmm. anytime yeah. all three of those songs were in like video rotation from 1986 until like 1990 yeah. until they dropped out of like regular rotation yeah. and uh like one time i want to say 1989 maybe i was watching mtv and it was like i want to say they were devoting a weekend to talking about bon Jovi or something and they yeah. played the wild in the streets video and i remember just like freaking out because i'm like i didn't know anything about this yeah of course you know now i go back and listen to it and i'm like yeah right, okay yeah, yeah. it's really you, you, i mean I mean, it's hard to underestimate the how huge Bon Jovi were as a band. I mean, they they were the business. Band. And it wasn't even like, yeah, it wasn't even just this record. And it was like the next no. couple. They were pretty yeah. big, you they know. They were one of the biggest bands in the whole world. Oh, which yeah. Which is like very strange to think about now. I mean, you know, because even when New Jersey came out, it kept the street going. And it, it yeah. just kept rolling out these singles that were yeah. just... Honestly, yeah. you could take, if you took like like... Slippery When Wet and New Jersey and shuffled them like a deck of cards and re-split it, (laughs) you would probably not notice. You'd have the Greatest Hits album. (laughs) Yes, you would have the Greatest Hits album. I mean, now, I remember when Keep the Faith came out because it was like this big deal. I was 12 years old when that album came out, and it was like this whole, we haven't put out an album in four years, and it's like, I don't know, a lot of people do that, you know? Yeah. I had to wait through how many presidential administrations to get a new My Bloody Valentine album, but anyway, (laughs) you know. Uh, <laughs> um, to be an MBV and fan. like in between that, you even had like Bon Jovi do his solo record that was the Blaze of Glory soundtrack, yep. and that was huge too. That was huge it had too. two videos that played constantly. The song Blaze of Glory yeah. played all the time on MTV, and then there was a song called Miracle. Yeah. I don't know if it was released as like a commercial single because there was also this kind of window that existed between like '86 and and the early yeah. '90s where you could make videos for songs that weren't necessarily commercially released as singles for the mm-hmm. radio market. That's how big like the idea of the video was at that time yeah you know uh so i don't know if 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 it was like a official single but miracle was also like oh my god there was a little span where that video played like 10 freaking times a day yeah and i kind of thought that i was over whatever interest i had in bon jovi by that point but uh um but then on that soundtrack that he did the solo album he had jeff beck to play guitar on it he did and And I i was just like why is Jeff Beck playing with John Bon Jovi? Well, this yeah, is- and that wasn't even the only big name on that. Because I want to say, like, Elton John showed up and played some piano yeah, on it or yeah. something like that. I mean, that was huge. oh, my God, he roped in some names. Yeah. So you know what? You got to give the guy credit for that. I mean, yeah. he got Jeff freaking Beck and Elton freaking John yeah. Yeah, to no play on his album. Him. Hey, all right. Yeah. I've made some albums before, and I can, I'm yeah. like 99% sure that Elton John has not played on any of them. Yeah, same. I don't, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not here 24 hours a day, so I don't know if he sneaks in at night and plays yeah. on my records or not, but probably yeah. not. Yeah. Just as a wild guess. He's always sneaking in a note or two. But. You never know. He's, maybe he, he's a rich guy. He can afford to do what he wants. I mean. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for listening. We're going to take a real short break here, and then we're going to come back. All right, and we're back. 
Our special guest today is Chad Watkins, and uh, Chad has sort of like the um, honor, I guess, of uh, being our first guest who isn't immediately in Aaron and I's musical circles. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so welcome, Chad. Hey, thank you yeah, so thanks much. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, mm-hmm. happy to be here. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Just so, like, usually we have like an introduction of like what band people are in and stuff like that. But why don't you just tell us a little about yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have been in some bands. If you wanna. No, not famous at all. Not Ames famous and whatsoever. But uh, my first band was Nard Voris. Nard Voris. That's a cool band. Name. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it, the the name was way better than our than yeah. our music. But what kind of music yeah. was it? Uh, we did. You know, uh, high school metal, you know? High school metal. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. I'm all on board with that sort of Just thing. Just kind of rock and roll and, I you instantly know. knew what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, you know, lived in Ames for 18 years. I mostly work in food industry, work at Wheatsfield Co-op right now, and yeah, I'm, I'm here to talk some hair metal. Awesome. Sweet. So we're talking about Bon Jovi and Slippery When Wet. Um Tell us about your experience with that record. Oh, man. Uh, Slippery When Wet. That was my first cassette I ever owned. Um, I probably listened to it every day, back and forth for... I know I know, I annoyed my parents because... So this is a thing that when I was probably six or seven, I had owned the cassette tape for a couple years. All of a sudden, it was mysteriously gone. And mm-hmm. I found out years later that my parents had purposefully left it into a car that they sold. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. Wow! Your they, parents were not such a fan of the. They album. were not such a fan, and uh, you know they just they, said it went to a nice home yeah. on a farm where it had lots <laughs> yeah. of room to run. They kept it nice and secret until I was able to handle that information, you know, and not leave and be very upset with them. But yeah, so um, yeah, I I don't remember much of the album now, but it was something that I listened to all the time when I was five or six yeah. years old. Yeah, it was pretty omnipresent uh, when it yeah. came out. It was just instantly enormous and, and omnipresent and everywhere. I mean, just you could not avoid it. And that was back in the day, too, where you could put out a record in 1986 and you'd mm-hmm. still be having, like, charting singles in 1988 from it, you know? Right, I mean, yeah. Right, yeah. So, they'd, they'd pick the next song to get behind and make a video for and push, and then all of a sudden, boom. I mean, those singles in that album had to have barely slipped off the charts by the time um, New yeah. Jersey came out. I mean, yeah, just the way it went back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they were, yeah. I mean, that album, like you, we were talking earlier, the the A side is just all singles, and they were all hits that you you'd hear in 1990, and be like, wait, wasn't this on the album from two years ago? I'm just hearing this now. Oh yeah, again. As somebody who like obsessively taped videos from MTV, I can verify that up through like 1991, <laughs> up through like fall of 91, we all know why it stopped there. But uh, <laughs> right up until then, you'd see Wanted Dead or Alive on there on on MTV, just mm-hmm. middle of the day, whatever you know, back when when videos were like a thing that actually yeah. existed and all that. Mm-hmm. So what uh what did you like about it? What was the thing that kept kept you coming back to it time and again? Oh, I just I loved to sing when I was a kid. So of course, hair metal was just I mean, we're calling it hair metal for the sake of the show, sure. right? Yeah. Um it was just it was a thing where you could just learn all the words pretty easily and you could sing at the top of your lungs because when you're 5 oh. years old, you Sound awesome, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you're just the best singer there is out there. Did you sing to all of the songs? Like all the I'm, way through? I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I can't so verify that, but I'm sure there's videotape out there somewhere that could. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I was just living on a prayer at that age. <laughs> <laughs> Working on the docks, I get it. Yeah. It was hard for a five-year-old Sucking back on then. Chili <laughs> The child labor laws are a little looser and all of that. Yeah. It was New Jersey. It was different. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a favorite song on it? 
Um, I, you know, I think um, Wanted Dead or Alive was my absolute favorite song on that album. Yeah. Because Living on a Prayer was obviously probably the most popular at that time, but, or at least the most karaoke Mm-hmm. Sang song, but "Wanna Dead yeah. or Alive" was just—it was a little harder, you know, just a little bit. It was got some country yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah, I just liked it. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. to this day, that's still a great guitar solo. I mean, there's nothing—that there's yeah. nothing wrong with that part, right? Of it. No, mm-hmm. no, no, not at all. <laughs> but as we've established, another thing you run into yeah. in the '80s is there's some maybe less than awesome bands that still had like totally killer guitar players, and you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a theme right. of our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So did you follow Bon Jovi after that? Or was this just uh, after the tape got, uh, you know, sent off over the Rainbow Bridge? Was that uh, <laughs> was that it for you? I, with bon you know, Jovi I think or? there was always just a part of me that, that held John Bon Jovi close, but I didn't. Yeah. To this day is not one of my favorite artists by all means, but I, I defended him for a really long time and thought that that band in general was pretty solid. And I, you know, I think they were an all right band, but definitely not something where I followed their career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the The numbers are on your side. I mean, that album was enormous. And, yes. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of stats on it that you know that we talked oh, about time. earlier. And everything. did you know that title was an innuendo? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, just you know, I'm, I'm here to help. It's cool. <laughs> So did that uh, lead you into any other hair metal bands that, that like you really loved or anything like that? Or no, was it, was I mean that, I I think that was your in and out moment. That was of hair my metal? in and out. Um, you know, I I started listening to a little bit more hardcore metal when I started playing a little bit in high school and going to a lot of local shows. Right. Um, Planes Mistaken for Stars was one of my favorite bands in high school. Oh man, I haven't metal thought metal. about that even a long time. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you're a drummer, so you were you were were you inspired by any of the drummers from the hair metal or metal? No one can or? see the air quotes here, but yes, I'm a drummer. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't practiced in many years, but yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's what I started playing when I was growing up, and yeah. Uh, so why haven't you played drums in a while? Um, I think just lack of time, and um, you know, there's the the bands are kind of covered in town. Everyone just plays with each other and there's not a lot of openings for drummers but I'm I'm willing to start playing again if that Well that's a valuable piece anybody. of information. Wow, I feel like yeah. we just got a scoop. Uh-huh. <laughs> you heard it here folks. There is I'm a drummer to, available. I'm here to plug myself. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, in my experience people are generally looking for good drummers so yeah. you know be careful what you what you put out there. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's been my experience up. too. Usually you get to a town and like there's plenty of guitar players, but right. no drummers. It's always anywhere. the drummer you're yeah. looking for. Yeah, mm-hmm. generally not looking for guitar players. There are yeah. a dime a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, bass drums. You guys are replaceable, you know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Hey, I, I'm a bass player. I get it. I'm I'm number four in the band. It's cool. It's, <laughs> I know my place. It's all right. But in a in a two piece band, you're the rhythm, you know? That's right. Oh yeah, that's right. I did that one time. And also, mm. bass players are like way more difficult to. I mean, if a guitar player like blows up, you know, that you could like say, "Hey, we need another, need another guitar player," and the next day you would have one. Bass player would take you weeks, probably, yep. to find <laughs> at least, you know, possibly longer to get a good one. So, yeah, that's kind of an interesting. That's a little bit local music trivia, I guess. No, oh, sure. <laughs> Any of the people who've ever played in bands who hear this are like, "No, I get it. Yeah, yeah. no, you're not telling yeah. me anything new here." <laughs> Yeah, I think I wore that tape out. I I never had it on CD, and then I bought a record of it like years later in uh, 
like a dollar bin down at ZZZ Records in Des Moines. Uh-huh. It was a beautiful, perfect condition copy. Still had the original sleeve and everything. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it one time. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like this like I did when I was six. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up just giving it to somebody. And apparently those have gotten valuable now because oh, now yeah, they're hard oh, to find. Yeah. yeah. All, if, the, all the people who were six have decided they need, they need that on vinyl right. and you're going to go back and find a copy. And- <laughs> if my upstairs neighbor is listening, I want that tape back. It's worth money now. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so I had yeah. a thought as I was, I had a thought when I was coming over here and um, yeah. I don't know if you guys thought of doing any spinoffs, but I thought if there were any cover songs of Cher, you guys could do a Cher metal episode. I like that. Yeah. I don't know if it exists, but I just thought that Boy, would be that's really fun. Gonna be tough. <laughs> that would be tough. Yeah. Intriguing though. Yeah. <laughs> then it just leads off into a whole different yeah. spin yes, off of does. anything that goes with hair. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we've already kind of like, uh, uh, dis- you know, we, we've gone off topic a little bit here and there, um, you know, because hair metal is such a weird concept. It's like, uh, I mean, it really is more of a marketing term than anything. And so, like, you know, you can immediately get into, like, you know, debates about, like, is this hair metal or is this not hair metal and stuff. I right. Mean, uh, this album in particular, I mean, this is one where it's like, is it hair metal or not? Uh, it came out during the era. I mean, they definitely had the look of hair metal, but I don't know how often it gets lumped in with hair metal bands. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think it totally depends on the context or who you're speaking to. Because, I mean, really, it's closer to pop than it is, like, hair metal or anything like that. It just happens to have loud guitars, but, you know, in 86, that's what most stuff had. If it wasn't, Mm -hmm. wasn't, like... R&B or, or rap or something like that. You had rock and roll. It was just... Yeah, you were courting the hair metal crowd. Yeah, so. it was right. still the dominant force. And you got to admit that, you know, you turn up just loud enough, have poofy hair, bam, you're in the market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure you guys, I don't want to have you re-educate people on hair metal, but when it first came out, was it known as hair metal? Or is this kind of like a... L- mid-90s trend that people started to refer to it as hair metal. I'm just young enough that like when I started, I mean, I started listening, yeah, Yeah. and I started listening to to like Def Leppard when I was seven, and and to me, to seven-year-old kid, that was metal. It wasn't hair metal, it was just metal. Yeah, that's, you know, and of course, you know, you get older and you kind of realize, oh, you know, there's a much broader world. Maybe I wasn't thinking about it right, but I don't know when it started getting called hair metal, but. I I think the people who were listening to hair metal at the time did listen to Bon Jovi. Uh, that's kind of my recollection of it. Okay. Uh, so, but I don't know if they considered it that, but I think a lot of, I mean, it was sort of a derogatory term in a way. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, that's just hair metal. Like it was taken away from, cause I'm with you. I mean, like Def Leppard was sort of like, Def Leppard's metal. They're definitely metal because they're, you know, because I the, like yeah. them. <laughs> and they're even a trickier example because they started out as a, a new wave of British heavy metal band. Mm-hmm. Right. And it isn't until a few albums into their career that they start getting a little more, you know, pop hooks and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, and along those lines, I, I was listening to an interview with uh, Gary Holt, who is the uh, lead guitar player from the band Exodus, and he was also in Slayer for like the last eight years. And he's like, "Oh yeah, oh, those of us in the thrash metal scene in the early '80s, we we talked shit all the time about things like you know Poison and Warrant and that stuff." He goes, "But we all went to those shows because well, that's where all the girls were. So like, sure. yeah, we yeah, went to go yeah. see Poison. Hell yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> yeah, and that was probably the trend, right? Like a couple bands would see. 
all the girls were at that kind of show, and they're like, I could, I could totally play that guitar solo. Yep. yep. All I got to do is yep. learn that guitar solo. It doesn't uh, matter how the, else if, I if play. You, yeah, when you go back and listen to like interviews of some of these yeah. 80s guys, a lot of them, they're like, man, we realized we could get some girls if we like, if we got yeah. a stage and they're like, wore real flamboyant stuff and yeah. played real loud. Oh, yeah, all the girls want to come to our shows. And it's like, no, yeah. yeah I think yeah. like, I mean, we're, we were kind of talking about like the 80s loosely here, but like in the 80s, there was this big movement for all of all of the old rock stars and all the old bands and stuff the music industry was like huge and it was this this big machine and everybody was deciding that they wanted to cash in because their agents were telling them let's make some money and so you know i, I remember like uh you know like like bands like yes deciding to like cash in and doing you mm. know streamline their sound and then all of a sudden you had this string of prog rock bands putting together like you know like asia and gtr yeah, and all that just stuff mass produced all, and all, all these bands, you know nerdy bands that were never popular were suddenly on the charts and stuff like that and so i think like there was like just this big focus on making money in the 80s and so i think like I mean, that's kind of like where a lot of like the hair metal stuff went to yeah, it's kind of like, like how the marketing part of it is yeah, instead you know, of just music kiss was a pretty much a straight ahead rock and roll band just with theatrics throughout most of the yeah. 70s mm -hmm. and then when you get to like lick it up and especially when you get as far yeah. into like crazy nights and stuff like that they totally like bought in yeah, completely definitely. into the hair rock sound because like i mean lick it up still had some kind of Sort of normally-ish rock and roll, but when you get past yeah. that, it's like Animal Eyes and uh, an Asylum and Crazy Nights. It's full on like eighties pop metal. Yeah. You just yeah. become a caricature of yourself. Yeah. They oh, yeah. wanted to be yeah. hair metal because that's where the money was. You know, yeah, that kind of. Now thing. they've always been, you know, very upfront about that. They're like, yeah, we yeah. want to make a lot of money, and we can see that if we do this now, we will. So I mean, whatever. You can't accuse them of anything yeah. if they're readily saying no. no. That's what we did. Right. <laughs> yeah. Gene Simmons is nothing if, if they're not honest. <laughs> very true. Very true. Say what you will. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, so I think there was, like, a lot of that kind of thing going on. And, like, you know, and there was a lot of, like, you know, dancing back and forth between that kind of a thing where, where people are sort of like, you know, you know, Bon Jovi may not have had their eyes on being a hair metal band, but they certainly didn't say, no, we're not hair metal. They, right. they, they weren't denying it because that was where they, there was a lot of money being made by playing for those people and, and playing the shows with those bands and, you know. You know, because there was a lot of package deals back then where you'd have like four hair metal bands together yep. and all yep. that stuff. And, you know. And when you ran into weird things too, like then then a band would come along that was made to look more uh, of the mm -hmm. movement than maybe they actually were. A really good example, I actually found their documentary for free on YouTube. Is Do you remember the band Bang Tango? Oh, well, yeah. Psycho yeah. Cafe, yeah. Um, we should cover that. When album. you actually, yes, we should, <laughs> because when you actually get in and, and listen to that album, there's so much more variety on it than mm -hmm. than what they were sold as. Like they were kind of marketed as just another hair rock band, but like there's a bunch of like there's like funk elements on their album, oh, gotcha. and they just cover a lot more ground. And it's 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 one of those things where a lot of bands I think had those sort of ambitions, but just well, like, yeah, the money is make the make the big boomy anthem songs, and then the then the sensitive ballad, and and just tease yeah. your hair out or whatever you know yeah yeah and 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 in that regard i think bon jovi bought into that model because we've got the i would die for you song i mean yeah that's the that's the big ballad that's sort of like you know baby 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 you know <laughs> it's like that's that's the, they were trying to have the money maker and oddly enough that wasn't the one that got them on the charts yeah no yeah, was so. that released as a single I don't know. I don't think so. Because honestly, that is, that's one of those albums where any song you listen to on there, you can tell that they were they made yeah. it to like to where any song could be pulled from that album and put right. on the radio, and it would right. sound like a single. You right. know, because yeah. the art of the single is a very specific art as opposed to the art of the album. You know. Yeah. And 
there's a few records from that time. Like if you listen yeah. to Hysteria, they were clearly trying to make it to where any song could be pulled off of it and played on the radio as yeah. a single. And yeah. they all sound like it. You know, even mm-hmm. more like like uh, uh, what's the the one before that? I'm suddenly. Pyromania doesn't have that same sound. Yeah. I mean, there's some like tough rockers on there that weren't going to be yeah. radio cuts ever. And it's not until you get to hysteria that like everything, I mean, yeah. you know, them and Bon Jovi, and I guess even kind of to an extent, like there's some poison that kind of has that sound too, but nobody more so than, than Bon Jovi and Slippery When yeah. Wet. Maybe even, yeah, that's, yeah. When Pyromania came out, I remember thinking like, this is metal. This is like super hard. Because at the time, the things you were hearing on the radio and things, you know, that you had, you know, general access to because there wasn't any internet. Well, right. I mean, there was thrash metal in 83, but there wasn't like here where you had. Right. You had to dig for it. You had to go find it. And it was like, it was Local places in big cities. Especially in the Midwest. Yeah. You were pretty much limited. Yeah. College radio or Mm -hmm. underground radio or something like that. Or unless you knew some crusty old dude who like had a shop (laughs) in campus who sold records, who knew about some hip stuff. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I remember thinking like pyromania is like sort of like in high school. That was when I was in high school. Uh, you know, it was like sort of like, whoa, this is like badass and very muscular and everything. And so the like, keyboards you know, on that album were done by Thomas Dolby. What? Yeah. No shit. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know for a long time either. And I was reading about I was reading about that album like a few months ago and I was like, yeah. wait a minute, what? Well, because wow. he's 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 listed under a different name. He like went by yeah. Oh, he, he went by really? a pseudonym for the album, but yeah, he yeah. he did the keyboard arrangements on it. Wow, that <laughs> blows my mind. Uh, I've I've studied a little bit of like uh, Tom Thomas Dolby stuff. Uh, he's he's got like all sorts of patents on things, and he's been an inventor. Uh, the polyphonic I mean, ringtone. Thank you, Thomas Dolby. Yeah, all of the <laughs> wow. stuff that yeah. Thomas Dolby has done, and like you know, outside of his music career, you know, she blinded me with science and all that stuff. Uh, um, I I did not know that he was involved. with Leopard, though that's uh, that that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, that's interesting. That's yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Mutt Lang was the type of guy who has access, so he probably knew how to like make all that happen. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, have you ever played drums to a Bon Jovi song? Oh, I haven't. Ah. Interesting. <laughs> Why have I not? It's one of these things, though. Like. It all sounds so simple, and then when you actually sit down to play the songs, it's like, okay, you know, there's maybe a little more precision here that I'm giving credit for. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, that is one of the things I've come to appreciate in in doing some of the research on Bon Jovi and stuff. These are professional people who really did make a go at it and all that stuff. I mean, you can, you know, deride all of the songs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, but you can't get around the fact that they're very good musicians. They're very good musicians. The the worst musicians, so quote unquote, is they're still a lot better than your average right. Joe out there oh, playing. Oh, by far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even uh, John Bon Jovi has won all sorts of songwriter awards and it is like, you know, in all these songwriter Hall of Fame sorts of things and all that stuff. No and acting like, awards though, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You, well, you mean he's not sitting pretty on that Young Guns 2 money? <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. in that movie for like half a second. Yeah. Yeah, and, and on Ally McBeal and shit like that, too. Oh, my God, uh, that's right. But, yeah, no no awards necessarily, but, like, you know, he, he you know, there's a reason he's there. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, he, he did a lot of major stuff that a lot of people liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you just, and just before you really get on, on board with, like, wanting to hate the guy, check this out. Uh, he actually opened a whole bunch of restaurants in, like, the New Jersey, New York area that are specifically there for the purpose of, like, so that homeless people and people who aren't as well off can come get food. Yeah, it's so, awesome. Yeah. Chad was a little worried coming on this uh, podcast because he said he didn't know, have like a background in hair metal, but like we veer from hair metal so rapidly. Yes, we do. <laughs> Turns out I don't have much knowledge in whatever else you're talking about either. 
It just but means cool. we've spent like more time sitting around listening to music, yeah. which is not necessarily uh, like a good thing. I don't yeah. know. But, well, the more uh, I listen to this podcast, the more I'll learn. So there you I go. Appreciate it, yeah. But Chad can totally kick our asses when it comes to like making food and making and with recipes and stuff like that. Chad makes hands down the best barbecue sauce that I've ever had. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, do you want to tell us about? I've seen, let's, let's talk oh, about barbecue sauce over a minute. Like uh, you sauce. posted about that before. I know what barbecue sauce you make. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Well, we're we're kind of in the middle of rebranding it right now, and um, still the same original recipe. And we're oh, yeah, shit. we're gonna start selling selling in some places. I don't want to say where we're probably gonna sell. No, nah, keep it, it on the DL. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, but, but the recipe is the thing. It's like yeah. you, make, you make something delicious. Yeah. And I can I, still I hear George's then, voice when I called uh, there to talk to my the girl I used to date who worked there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he yeah, uh, George. He was he was something. I, I know can we talk about very, George? Very, I don't didn't know him barely at all, but huh. um, you know from, from what I know, he was just yeah. we're, kind we're, of a good old Southern boy. You know, yeah, we're talking yes. about George Battles, basically, who had uh, Battles Barbecue here in Ames. And, it was an uh, institution, and it was an institution, mm-hmm. and and uh, Chad has taken over that institution and uh, continued it, and is uh, you know and moving on with the sauce recipe and stuff like that, which I'm terribly excited about. Um, when I first started like coming to Ames before I lived here, um, I found Battles Barbecue in Campus Town and and uh, just fell in love with it. And it was like immediately like the best barbecue I'd ever had and all this stuff. So um, having Chad be involved with that has just been like one of those nice little serendipity things in yeah. life for me where I'm just sort of like, wow, that's that's incredible. And it's cool because I think – there has spawned, you know, a few other really good, excuse me, uh, barbecue restaurants in town, but I still think our sauce is second to none. So. Yeah, I agree. You will find no disagreement here. I yeah. agree. <laughs> and uh, at one point, I was lucky enough to get to help Chad with a batch. And by help, I mean, like, I think I stirred it for like a couple minutes or something like that. So nothing significant. But still, you got um, to be there. That's yeah, you got to be there during the creation of some of it. Um, and in the process of talking about it, um, I remember like, you know, like, you know, going through like different sauces and I'm not like an expert on barbecue sauces by any stretch. Um, but I was talking about the things that I liked about the battle sauce was like, it has more of like that vinegar flavor, but Mm -hmm. it's also like a little bit, it seemed like thicker than most of the vinegar based sauces. And you, you talked about that with me, like how that was how it's like a weird hybrid of the two kinds that, and I had never thought about that before and why. And that when was I, a thing. When I first learned how to make that recipe, I didn't know a whole lot about barbecue sauce. So it's just kind of like, oh, this must just be how barbecue sauce is made. And then as I've learned a lot more <laughs> recipes and looking it up, and it's the process is done differently. You know, the ingredients are a little bit different, and it's that's what makes it unique and different and, like, you know, isn't replicated very often. I just think it's right. it's kind of special that way. That is what makes it special, but I, but I wasn't able to articulate that until you you kind of like you know walked me through that stuff, and I didn't know the different types and all right. of that. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 not one where you could you know it's it's got a southern feel to it, but you can't call it Memphis barbecue or mm-hmm. you know Texas barbecue. It's Georgia's barbecue. Georgia's barbecue. Texas, you don't use yeah. sauce anyway, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's George's barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> and it's I I always kind of joke that you know we have the recipe now, but. He was probably doing something maybe a little bit different or never wrote Entirely it down possible. ever. And was just every time yeah. he made it was just going off a of feel like some best you know, the best chefs do. They just they taste yeah. it and they smell it and they say, Oh, yep. Oh yeah, when right. I was when I was going there, um and this would have been like 
2000 to 2002, 2003, something like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was one guy who worked there besides George who made the sauce. Yeah. And he was the only person that he told how to do it. And everybody else was just like, no, we don't know. Yep. We get certain mm-hmm. bits ready for him and that's all we know. It's yeah, we, we did that same thing too. Yeah, it was it was me and one other person who knew how to do it and and that was yeah. it. I remember when I was coming over to help you make sauce, you said like, I need about an hour before you come over. I got to do some of the secret <laughs> stuff. And I, and I it was totally respect. I don't want to know. No, I just, I just yeah. want to taste it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't need to know how it's made. I don't, you know. Uh, and I remember when uh, uh, when Rachel and I were going to college, we would go to uh, battles all of the time, and we fell in love with it. And after we graduated, we we, we decided we were going to move to Atlanta. And in our heads, we thought like, "Well, Atlanta's in the South, and we're going to like have, there's going to be like a battles on every corner down there." Right. And, and so we, <laughs> so we went down there and thinking like we're it was just going to be like barbecue mecca. We got down there and we never found anything as good. As, as, as definitely not as good as the sauce and mostly not as good as like the way the meat was prepared. Yeah. It was very disappointing, mm-hmm. um, which was very odd, you know? Um, and, you know, that was kind of where we learned about like um, how Iowa really has a good lockdown on meat. That's true. We've got yeah. a way better quality. Yeah. Meat. Right. Yeah. The and we hadn't realized and that, and you know, that first time you eat a steak really out of state and you're like, Oh, that's right. what it's like here. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. We take it for granted living in Iowa, but we've got we've got all the meats and yeah. You know. It's a good point. Oh. You forget about that too, which I'm sure people from Maine are just like everyone's got great lobster, right? Right. <laughs> when I was in Colorado, I remember going to a grocery store and going to the meat counter, and I'm I'm used to like you know 12, 14, 16 feet of meat counter. Right. <laughs> and I get there, and I was like, there's like three feet of meat counter. I'm like, where's where's the other stuff? <laughs> like this is our last chicken breast. Do you want it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you for being on the show, Chad. Hey, this is a blast. Much appreciated. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming by. This is a this is a cool angle. Like yeah. you know, yeah. and when you have share metal, let me know. I think I can provide you know a little bit. Absolutely. Little bit Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Right, thanks thanks so much, for listening, guys. everybody. We'll see you next time on Hair Metal Memories. Mm-hmm.